a student, PhD student, uh, Michael Nagib, who was working on this project, started to experiment and did lots of different uh, trials and errors, trying to etch those materials, open the space here. He ended up with completely removing aluminum layer from titanium aluminum carbide, making layers of two-dimensional titanium carbide here, which looked in a microscope very similar to graphene. And my postdoc, who did first transmission electron microscopy study, thought that we made graphene. But when we did analysis, we realized it's not just carbon. It's carbon, titanium, plus some oxygen atoms on the surface here. So it's different material. Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world. With your hosts, David Yeh and Puniku Pavia. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention that we created a free professional development guide for MSCs, which you can find in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey, everyone. So today's guest is Dr. Yuri Gogotsi, a distinguished university professor of material science and engineering at Drexel University, as well as the director of the AJ Drexel Nanomaterials Institute. His research focuses on 2D metal nitrides and carbides, aka maxines, and other nanomaterials for energy, water, and biomedical applications. And we'll get into what exactly maxines are in just a moment. But Yuri has received numerous awards for his research, including most recently the 2021 Materials Today Innovation Award, which recognizes monumental work that has opened a new significant field of research and resulted in impactful practical applications. So we're super excited to discuss the material science behind Maxine's and the immense impact that this can potentially have on our world. So thank you so much for joining us today, Yuri. Thank you, Ponis. Greetings from Philadelphia. <laughs> so yeah, so first, could you tell us what Maxine's are and why, and what makes you particularly excited about the applications that they can be applied to? Maxine's are very thin materials, just a few atoms in thickness. Imagine uh, three, five, seven, 11 atoms piled up. All together, it makes uh, about one nanometer thick. So one billionth of a meter thin material. And you actually see some of the uh, models uh, in the virtual background I'm using. <laughs> uh, those uh, dots in these models are atoms. And you see they are arranged in layers. So if you have heard about graphene, which is a monatomic layer of carbon, the most famous two-dimensional materials, maxines are alike in the sense that they are thin, just a few more atoms. But this adds enormous new opportunities, this their diversity and complexity. Interesting. So most people know about graphene. I didn't personally know about maxine. So can you maybe provide a comparison between the two since you just like from the property perspective and the structure perspective? Well, graphenes, as I just mentioned, are monatomic layers of carbon. So if you write something with a pencil or draw something with a pencil, you basically leave on paper very thin uh, layers of graphite and if you take them and make them ultimately seen like a single layer, this will be graphene. And actually, it can have 
several layers, which, which we call multi-layer graphene. And as you all know, drawing with a pencil, it's a black or gray. And uh, this material has many, many important properties. And you might, uh, might also know that discovery of graphene by Andrew Gaim and Kostya Novoselov from uh, Manchester uh, received, uh, was recognized with a Nobel Prize in 2010, just a bit more than a decade ago here. And graphene is great, but imagine you want to build a new world. You want to build new types of devices, and you have just one type of building material. Same, you built uh, something play with Lego. Many of you probably played as children and may uh, still continue because I know some adults uh, <laughs> still enjoy it here. And you get all Lego bricks of the same size, same type, and the same black color. It's very difficult to build something exciting. You want to have Lego bricks of different sizes, different widths, uh, different thickness. You want to have different colors. You may have different properties. Some of them can be conducting, building, for example, some electrical devices and so on. And this is what Maxins offer. So graphene consider showed the way to two-dimensional materials. Now we material scientists, material chemists are discovering synthesizing new two-dimensional materials that we have enough Lego blocks to build anything we want, anything people need, like a new approach to building devices. When you check atomically thin layers and combine them together that we can make a sensor, we can make transparent conducting film for a cell phone display that we can make a wearable kidney or a new type of a battery, not carving it out of a big chunk of material, but building them by two-dimensional blocks. And this is exactly where you need many, many different type of materials that they can bring different properties here. And this is exactly what Maxins do compared to graphene. They are more conducting, electrically conducting when you assemble them in structures here. They come in a variety of different colors. They have different optical, electronic, plasmonic properties, uh, chemical properties. And they basically allow us to explore many more applications. So for our listeners who might not know too much about vaccines, you're saying that basically going to the Lego analogy, there's different size blocks that look different and have different properties. Mm -hmm. What can we change about vaccines that allow us to change those properties? Well, let me go a little bit further in uh, details about vaccines. Graphene says built of just carbon atoms. And maybe you can attach some oxygen or hydroxyl group to the surface making so known graphene oxide. Maxines are built of transition metals. What does it mean? It's a, they're common metals, titanium, molybdenum, vanadium, chromium, which are used uh, in a variety of applications every day. For example, my uh, laptop, uh, MacBook Pro, uh, has a, a titanium uh, body. And carbon and nitrogen connecting those atoms. So for example, red dots you can see behind in the model, uh, in my background would be titanium atoms and tiny black dots connecting them would be carbon to nitrogen. So they're common elements, but they are different elements. So if you build the same structure with titanium atoms, you get one type of properties. If you build the same structure with vanadium atoms, 
properties will be different. They will have different colors. It means that they will be absorbing light at different wavelengths, opening various optoelectronic applications. But there is one more wonderful thing. We have like a dozen of metals, carbon and nitrogen, which we can combine. And we can have structures with like a three, five, seven, nine layers of atoms. And we can make atomic sandwiches when one layer is one type of element, for example, molybdenum. Another layer is titanium, considered to be sandwich, where the thickness of layers is single atoms here. They all will have different properties. And for an engineer, a designer, this may not be enough. You may want to make fine tuning of properties. Then what you can do, you can mix different atoms, like in metal alloys that people have been using for a long time, adding, uh, say, chromium or nickel to iron makes it rust-free. How, this is how we make stainless steel. May adding some other atoms to maxine layers, mixing different atoms, allows further tune properties. So basically, we have not only very large and very diverse family of materials, but we can also tune composition and structure to achieve exactly the required properties. And this really opens totally new opportunities in making future materials, and it means making future devices. Wow. I was about to ask more about the structure and the composition of these materials, but it seems like there's such a large variety. So maybe we'll get into that later in this episode. But before we go into that, can you take us back to when your group first discovered Maxine's? Uh, what was that experience like? And did you know right away that this class of materials had the potential to make a significant impact on this world? Well, Maxine's were discovered, uh, or first samples were made in 2010. This is actually exactly the year and about the time and the end of the year when uh, Andrew Gaiman, Kostin Novoselov got a Nobel Prize for graphite. So, the world was uh, very much excited about graphene, and Maxine's were initially received with skepticism. It took several years for them to make a breakthrough and become one of the most researched family of materials. But at the moment we discovered them, we knew right away that they will be important. Because we knew that first material made was the beginning of a new family of materials. And let me also step away back and tell you how we made them. So we actually were looking for, not looking specifically to make a new two-dimensional materials. We were working on developing materials for lithium-ion batteries. And there is a family of layered materials, which a colleague of mine, Professor Michel Barzum at Drexel University also developed called Max phases. Those are layered compounds with layers of different atoms aligned here. And we had a hypothesis these materials can be like graphite, useful for lithium-ion batteries and can store more lithium. But initial experiments were not very successful. And what we decided to do is to etch them, like remove layers of some of the element to open space for lithium to go in. And a student, PhD student, uh, Michael Nagib, who was working on this project, started to experiment and did lots of different uh, trials and errors, trying to etch those materials, open the space here. 
And to keep a long story short, he ended up with completely removing aluminum layer from titanium aluminum carbide, making layers of two-dimensional titanium carbide here, which looked in a microscope very similar to graphene. And my postdoc, who did first transmission electron microscopy study, thought that we made graphene. <laughs> but when we did analysis, we realized it's not just carbon. It's carbon, titanium, plus some oxygen atoms on the surface here. So it's different material. And knowing that there are many of these layered ceramics that can be used as a precursor, it was clear those will be a large family of materials. So for us, the impact was obvious. But it took a while to analyze, explain what is this, and then convince journal editors and reviewers to publish the first work here and convince the community it's important here. So certain things that we see when we discover and believe are exciting, it doesn't mean by default that they look right away exciting to others because we know about topic we study more than others. And this is our job as scientists also to explain to others how important things are that we discovered that we make because new materials simply enable new technologies. Say, we all have smartphones and smartphones would be impossible without discovery of new materials. For example, Gorilla Glass which I could not imagine as a kid uh, breaking uh, with soccer ball uh, windows, <laughs> that a glass can be so strong that one can, like myself, drop cell phone every day and it won't break. <laughs> and of course, all the semiconductors uh, that uh, went into electronics there and optical materials for wonderful cameras, which uh, take pictures, which are sometimes better than large, uh, bulky and heavy professional cameras here. So this is what is enabled by new materials. So when we make thinner, smaller materials with new properties, we know new technologies will be enabled by those materials. That's why it's so exciting to discover new materials. I want to dive into the applications a little bit so that we can get that, that full picture. And I know one of the largest areas of Maxines is supercapacitors. That's one of the biggest applications where they can be used for like short-term energy storage on even a larger scale like automotives. So what structure property relationships do Maxines possess that allow it to potentially take over as the material of choice here in supercapacitors? Let me probably first explain to uh, our audience what supercapacitors are. Supercapacitors are devices that store charge quickly, like batteries. Consider them to be like a batteries on steroids, very fast. They are sprinters, they are not tires. So what does it mean? You can charge them quickly, but they also discharge quickly. Batteries take much longer to charge, but they can keep more charge and for a longer time. And depending on what uh, you need to power or harvest energy, you need either battery, supercapacitor, or ideally everyone would love to have batteries which store lots of energy, but charge quickly. That you just plug your cell phone into an outlet or uh, put it on wireless charger and a minute later or less fully charged and you can use it for another day. Or come with your Tesla or another electric car to a charging station, plug it in, wait maybe for a couple of minutes, just like uh, we fill a tank with a gasoline, 
and drive away and be able to drive again for a couple of hundred miles. Why it's not possible? Batteries charge slowly. They basically take lots of charge. There are chemical reactions happening there, and there is a bulk diffusion. So ions have to move through the structure of materials, which is a slow process. There is another limitation. What does it mean, fast charge? It means that you have a very high current going through your device. So many, many electrons go in, and the battery ions need to go also simultaneously in the other direction. So what happens if your material is poorly conducted, like metal oxides using batteries now, or in graphite? you start heating the battery up, you know, like you put more power charger. For example, if you charge your cell phone or computer in Europe where you get 220 volt instead of uh, 110, you will see how it heats up. It may be charging a bit faster, but also heats up. And if you charge it even faster, you will kill it here. So we need materials which conduct electricity much better, but that also can store electricity, like in supercapacitors, on the surface. In supercapacitor, people traditionally use porous carpets. Now graphene is tried. Where ions are stored electrostatically on the surface quickly, and then leave quickly when you discharge. Now, this mechanism is called electrostatic. There is no chemical reaction or electrochemical reaction. There is no charge transfer happening. Maxines, are high surface area materials. They're two-dimensional. The entire material is the surface. There is no bulk where ions will have to slowly diffuse. So you can get fast charging, like in supercapacitors. That's why we can make supercapacitors with them. But they also have transition metals, like battery electrodes. So they can accept electrons. Transition metal can change oxidation state, store energy like a battery. So what we are trying to do is to design devices which will have advantages of supercapacitor, fast charging, fast discharge, can give a lot of power, for example, when you accelerate your car, or when you want to harvest energy from braking, which is like a 10, 20 seconds when you brake, or a tram, or a train, or an elevator going down. But also that you can quickly give it away when you accelerate, for example, the car. Or when you need to speak from your cell phone and your battery is almost dead and you can see the screen, but you cannot make a call because there's not enough power for this. So this is a game we're trying to play. Consider to be creating high power, high energy storage devices, starting from supercapacitor design, high surface area materials, highly conducting, but taking them to a battery-like energy storage mechanism. If you succeed, many people uh, will have much better batteries in the future. Yeah, so I guess that was an amazing explanation of how the maxines work in a supercapacitor role. As you said, though, that supercapacitors don't do as good of a job as holding energy as long as batteries. So moving forward, what do you think the relationship between maxine supercapacitors and batteries will look like? Will we try to just put more maxines into batteries to extend the conductivity and allow for better charge transfer to allow fast charging? Or will we just switch over to more supercapacitors in areas that could get away with lower amounts of energy storage? David, both are possible. There is no single solution for every single problem. There are different devices, there are different applications. Uh, 
Say if you have uh, electric uh, drill or screwdriver at home and use it once a year, you want to be able, for example, to fix something quickly and you don't want to wait for an hour until the battery charges. You want to come, plug it quickly in and go with this wireless device, drill a hole and put it back for another year. So you need something will be charged quickly and you don't care whether you can work for two hours here. But if you are, for example, uh, using the same type of an instrument, uh, but you work professionally building uh, houses, for example, or doing repair work and need to use it for hours, you need a different device right here. So it means that even in similarly same application, depending on how you use it, you may need different things. So there is room for batteries, there is room for supercapacity. But from standpoint of a consumer, People don't care whether this thing is called supercapacitor or a battery. If it's called lithium-ion battery or nickel-metal hydride battery, right here. If it's carbon supercapacitor, may have porous carbon or graphene or maxine. What people need is to store energy, charge it quickly, and have enough energy to do the job, whether it's a powering cell phone or uh, drilling a hole or anything else you can imagine here. So we can develop battery supercapacitors, which will be charging equally quickly as carbon devices, but have more energy. It's great. It helps on one side. We can add maxines to batteries, which makes them more conducting, so we can charge the same type of a battery faster. Moreover, in batteries, people use, for example, copper, aluminum as so-known current collector. So it's a basically metal foil on which electrodes are built because electrodes have poor conductivity. If I have maxine or electrode or maxine mixed with other materials, we may not need this metal current collectors, making batteries smaller and lighter. This also improves. So usually development goes through a number of different steps and lithium batteries, lithium ion batteries went a long way when uh, they became uh, what they are right now, storing much more energy than the first generation, lasting much longer, many more cycles, and actually simultaneously being much cheaper than they used to be 20 years ago. And Maxine and Maxine-based uh, devices are just making first baby step. So they will keep growing, they will keep introduced into different applications, different devices, battery supercapacitors, and then eventually we hope they can make a difference. Now, I was just curious for from the supercapacitor application, is there specific transition metals that perform better than others in this Maxine family? A short answer is yes, but there are always some reservations. For example, theory predicts that zirconium, vanadium will perform better than titanium, titanium carbide maxine. That nitrites will perform better than carbide maxines. However, no one has made zirconium nitride maxine yet. So we need to learn how to make those theoretically predicted structure experimentally. We would like to try, but we don't have it. There are some other factors. We always cost uh, talk about prices at the end. Titanium and carbon, two of the most abundant elements. They are inexpensive, they are available in large quantities, uh, there are no really limit in supply. And some other 
elements which can be used in maxins, like a tantalum. Very expensive elements. They may be fine for some medical applications, but definitely not one you want to use in a the battery. They're also heavier and titanium is lighter. So again, uh, it's always like a balancing. What is better? What do we call better? Simply showing that we can reach the maximum performance may be important in some applications. Or showing that we make something practical and reasonably priced, which will be used by everyone here. And those are problems that even scientists cannot answer right away, uh, solve right away or give an answer because economics of manufacturing, market prices for materials in the future may determine what will become industrial reality and what will stay a scientific curiosity. As scientists, we can predict this well, but we can discover materials, we can offer methods to making these materials, making them in less expensive, more environmentally friendly way, and we do it. And then business and market uh, and consumers decide what works for them, what will be adopted, and what may stay on papers of uh, scientific journals and books. Moving on to the next unique application of vaccines is in dialysis, which is the procedure to remove waste products and excess fluid from your blood when your kidneys stop functioning properly, which affects a million, millions of people every day. What role can vaccines play in this space and how is this potential application even thought about or discovered? David, it's a very good question here. And let me maybe first explain why we target certain applications. Yeah. When one makes a new material, doesn't matter. Maxine, before we worked uh, a lot on carbon materials, what we try to do is first determine its properties. We measure conductivity, mechanical strengths, we measure optical properties. And then based on those properties, we think, okay, what are possible applications? Where can those properties be useful? And then we think, okay, what is really important? We talked before about, say, supercapacitor batteries. Everyone knows that energy is important. If we have enough energy, we can solve many other problems. With the world moving toward renewable energy, electricity, internet of things, we need powered by electricity devices everywhere. So naturally studying energy storage, energy harvesting, energy generation is one of the important direction. And we try to see how our materials can make a difference there. Another very important application is health and medicine. On the example of say coronavirus today, we see how entire world is coming together to fight the disease and scientific breakthroughs, uh, for example, in techniques for controlling and modifying biomolecules help to develop quickly vaccines. And nanomaterials like nanofibers help us provide face masks that uh, can uh, filter particles and keep us safer here. Very similar way, we identify many other problems like cancer, like uh, kidney disease that people are trying to tackle trying to fight, but where there is no like a solution that would allow us to eradicate disease. 
here. So we basically go after problems we believe are important. If we solve this problem using our materials, investing our time, investing taxpayer dollars uh, that we get, for example, from federally funded research project from National Science Foundation or Department of Energy, we do something useful. And one of this is this application in dialysis. I think uh, many of you, if you don't even have anyone in the family or among your friends who suffer from kidney disease, can notice, for example, uh, dialysis, uh, Davita or other stores in the US and will be different in other countries, pretty much everywhere in big cities. Because lots of people have to go there and spend several couple of days a week, several hours connected to dialysis machine to remove toxic residues or function of our bodies because kidneys cannot do it here. It has tremendous impact on quality of life of those people. And it also, of course, shortens life and there are not enough kidney donors to save all people who have late stage kidney disease. And the problem in developing wearable kidneys or making much smaller dialysis machine is that there are no good materials that are able to absorb urea, very small molecules that our bodies produce as a result of breaking down food. And there is no way to absorb it here. Carbon, porous carbon, charcoal, that is a great sorbent for many molecules, is not efficient in absorbing urea. So vaccines happen to be able to do it and do it efficiently. So we work with a company now, which is called Nefria Bio. This was company started in the US uh, by a larger Korean corporation specifically to develop wearable kidney, finding better dialysis membranes for existing machinery using vaccines because of this here. And I think it's always really important to think about, we make a new material. Can it be something useful to solve problems that humanity faces or is it just fun? Or is it actually something that may appear to be very toxic in general? And those are things we face. You know, like we can use vaccines, do something which is really life-saving, like for example, uh, treating cancer or building a wearable kidney or making bactericidal and antiviral coating to prevent people from getting COVID or be infected with another disease here. Or we can do something which will be still fun and may still be important, but less important. Mm -hmm. So it's always kind of, again, a balance and we're trying to do after those things here. Energy, health, environment are problems for everyone. Doesn't matter where we live in the world and what country. So, and as scientists, we should try, try to tackle those problems and contribute as much as we can to solving those. Absolutely. So I'm still amazed though, how did you end up tying the properties of Maxine to the ability to absorb urea? That still seems like a very unique application property as well. So how did that come together? Well, there are several things here. One is that study the properties first. And if you know that there are very, very narrow spaces between these maxine flakes. And also there are so known highly charged surfaces. It's a logical hypothesis this material will be able to absorb small molecules here. But it's also often about 
talking to people who are experts in the field. For example, in the supercapacitor field, I've been working for more than 15 years already, very closely with Professor Patrice Simon from Paul Sabatier University. Pretty much much of what I know about supercapacitors energy storage, I learned from him. We developed materials in discussion with experts in the field. We were able to find important applications. Very similar way, when we were working on carbon materials, deriving, designing, inventing new porous carbon sorbents for biomedical application, particularly for removing toxins uh, from blood. Another colleague, Professor Michalowski, he retired from University of Brighton in UK now, but at the time he was in Brighton, told me that one of the big problems is absorbing urea. So if we can make design materials that can absorb urea, would be very, very important here. And we tried our carbon materials and we didn't have much success. So when we produced material, maxins, this was the idea we wanted to test whether the maxins will be able to do. And yes, bingo, maxins were able to absorb urea. And this is how the story started. And initially we just uh, showed feasibility of it then interest came from practitioners, and then we received some small funding to explore this area. And step by step, uh, we are now at a stage that we already work uh, with a small company, but with very big ambitions. And I think this technology that has a potential. And again, in my personal opinion, something that is worth of time and effort investment. So again, another message from this is, no one is an expert in everything. We always need to collaborate, interact. And these collaborators may be next door uh, in your department, or they may be in France uh, or UK, as I mentioned in two examples recently here. So scientists need to work together with each other because uh, complex problems we are facing now cannot be solved by a single person. doesn't matter how knowledgeable or experienced this person is. Staying on the topic of healthcare, um, you mentioned the cancer therapies. And I know Maxine's have very unique, incredible optical properties, which translate well to photothermal cancer therapies. So what specific combination of those properties makes these materials suitable for this specific application? I mentioned briefly uh, that Maxine's come in a variety of colors. What does it mean, color of material? It means that the material absorbs light of a certain wavelength and say it transmits light uh, of a different wavelength. And about light, I'm talking in a broader sense. It can be visible light that we can see. It can be ultraviolet light we cannot see or infrared light, which kind of brings uh, heat, but we cannot see it here. So because of this variety of compositions, structures, and properties, maxines can different maxines will absorb light, absorb light in different wavelengths. Particularly, they have a process which is called plasmon resonance. Those like uh, vibrations of the, in the lattice, which come at different wavelengths or frequencies. And depending on composition, so known transverse surface plasmon will be at different positions. And the number of maxines capable of very efficiently absorbing light and transforming it to heat 
in the infrared range. And this is what is needed to be able to do photothermal therapy. What means delivering particles to a tumor and then using infrared or near-infrared light that penetrates pretty deeply through tissues to heat it up that tumor will be destroyed, cells, cancer cell will die because of the temperature only locally where we shine a laser light or surgeon uh, that performs the therapy shines a laser light here. And traditionally, people have been developing gold nanoparticle for this application, but tuning them to specific wavelengths is more difficult. Maxins offer you enormous tunability. Moreover, titanium carbide, tantalum carbide, niobium carbide maxins they have shown to be non-toxic. After that, they can be removed from the body by decomposing slowly uh, with the tissue here. But there are some other important properties here. Maxines are layered materials. So we just talked about adsorption of urea, where a molecule of urea, say small molecule, sits between layers of maxine. But it's possible also to load this material, put between layers that sort drugs. For example, doxorubicin or other drugs that also destroy tumors. So this is called theranostic approach, where simultaneously different type of treatment and done. And also we can attach molecules that guide particles to a particular tumor. And this can be done whatever cancer cell won't be killed by heat, they will be killed by drug molecules released from vaccine, making the treatment more efficient. And there are many research groups around the world exploring now this approach to treating cancers, particularly skin cancers, which are easy to access with light here. But again, since vaccines can have absorption and longer wavelengths, it may be possible to also go much deeper here. And of course, this variety of colors may be important in other applications. For example, I see David has a Klimt uh, painting copy behind on the wall of his office here. And we can make maxines which will be shining exactly in a film like gold or having pretty much all the colors. And we can make a painting like this of maxines using maxine films only here. Wow. And again, we can talk about some mirrors. We can talk about materials which make, for example, warm winter clothes because they will not re-emit infrared light and many, many other applications. So again, nanotechnology is not about just making things small. It's about controlling their properties by controlling structure at the atomistic level. And this is what we are trying to do with Maxins because they consider to be like a designer family of material, which when you don't take what is given to you by nature or, or an industrial process developing like a piece of silicon or uh, graphite or steel, this is a material where you can change everything. Number of atomic layers, type of atoms, mix atoms in different ways. And it means if you use computational science to predict properties for specific compositions, 
sky is the limit for property control. And then hopefully we'll be able to solve many other problems uh, which are important for people, whether we're talking about uh, energy, health, or environment. Like, for example, desalinating water, filtering water, providing drinking water to people. We want to touch on just one last one for today, again, on the topic of healthcare. And one of your future applications of the material is these wearable and epidermal electronic devices, uh, which utilizes Maxine's biocompatibility and metallic conductivity to create the interface between humans and machines. Currently, we use gold, uh, but uh, why can we use and why should we use Maxine's? And you kind of touched on this already, but uh, could you elaborate? David, this is another very good question. When we talk about futuristic technologies, technologies of the future, Skin electronics, interfacing humans with computers, with machines, with like a cell phone-like devices, or eliminating cell phones that we pretty much in our clothes that we wear, we will be able to have electronics which takes all the vitals, keeps us healthy, controls our health, uh, and allows us to communicate with the world outside here that you don't need to use headphones uh, and a cell phone and a computer. And we basically make our life more comfortable, more connected. But also, when everything gets smaller, hopefully also consume less material. So interface is electric. And currently, yes, gold is used as a most common material for skin electronics because we need high conductivity and we need materials which will not corrode, which will conduct electricity well, which can be made in thin and flexible films. So two-dimensional materials in general are very easy to make a film. It's like an ink. You basically can take a film and you can inkjet print it, you can spray coat it, you can just write with a pen, basically. I can write a conducting circuit on my skin or on a piece of paper with a fountain pen or any other pen filled with Maxine ink here. But the problem is we need conductivity. Carbon materials are potentially good because again, less expensive, non-corroding, non-toxic, but they don't have sufficient conductivity. Metals like copper, they degrade, corrode, interact with sweat, don't work here. So Maxine's can actually fill this gap. And the great thing about titanium carbide compared to gold, that it doesn't have gold. It doesn't have any other noble metal expense. But moreover, what is very interesting, and again, this is a work done in collaboration with colleagues who are experts in the field. For example, Professor Flavia Vitale from the University of Pennsylvania. They're experts working on interfacing human brain, human bodies with machinery measuring electric signals that come from muscle activity, that come from brain activity here. So they were looking for better materials. And Maxine are not as conducting as gold, but they appear to provide even the same or better measurement, having something which call lower impedance in contact here. They don't require any kind of uh, gel grease when connecting for long-term uh, measurements on the skin. So basically, it's again, it comes from properties of materials. It comes from working from someone who is an expert in the field and knows what is needed, what kind of problem exists in the field. 
And we provide materials that eventually capable of solving these problems here. And skin electronics, epidermal electronics is very important direction for the future development of technology, basically taking computers, cell phones, and other relatively bulky devices we use today to a next level when they can be incorporated everywhere. We can wear them in our clothes and skins, flexible, wearable electronics here. And this is exactly where I believe materials like Maxine's can make a major, major difference. Uh, and we are tackling those problems with our collaborators. Okay, so I guess we touched on a number of benefits of Maxine's. And so just to balance the conversation, we wanted to get your insight into the challenges that lay ahead for Maxine's. Is it scalable processing? Is it the cost of these transition metals, something else? Material discovery is wonderful area here. And we know already how to make many great materials. But what is important to understand, there is a pretty long way for any material to practical applications. You may be wrapping your sandwich into aluminum foil today because this is a very inexpensive and very common material. But when material was discovered as a metal and some amount were produced at the French Royal Court, the most important guest would be treated to aluminum silverware instead of gold and silver because it was a rare, exotic, and a very expensive metal in the beginning until a larger scale industrial process of electrolysis of cryolite was developed here. Same with any other materials. When they just appear, they're expensive by default because they're produced in small quantities. There is no large industrial process, but industry will not start producing large amount of material until there is an application and large volume application and companies that want to develop application, for example, better utilizing Maxine, will start looking, okay, where can they buy the material for their batteries? And there is no manufacturer. So this is a slow development that usually goes by spiral more and more and more. You start with applications which have require smaller volume of material, for example, transparent conducting films, sensors, or application in medicine like photothermal therapy, where cost of material is negligible compared to cost of uh, the treatment and human life. And then go to larger and larger and larger scale. So this is one of many challenges that time, investment, development, work with industry, are all important to make it happen. Even graphene and probably the largest amount of funding imaginable was pumped into developing graphene as a material over the past 15 years is just starting to make breakthrough into applications virtually last couple of years. So it takes time, it takes investment, but that's why it's important to show there are some problems that cannot be solved without using this material. And then there is a drive, there is a motivation to start manufacturing it and using it here. So volume of manufacturing, cost are issues. I mentioned uh, in passing before that there are some vaccines predicted with wonderful properties, which have not been even 
synthesize experimental in the lab yet. So it requires efforts of a much larger community of material scientists, chemists, to learn how to make those materials and test those properties like two-dimensional ferromagnetism, topological insulators, superconducting maxines, maxines which can store much more energy and many, many others here. So we need to continue material discovery. And of course, to replace a material with an existing application, especially large scale like batteries, we need to reach much, much better performance levels. And in some areas, like electromagnetic interference shields, Maxines have already showed to outperform all other known materials. In some other areas, we still need to improve them to make them truly competitors, not achieving the same performance or providing noble metal-free or non-toxic alternative, but really being better than anything else here. So there is still a long way to go, but what is exciting? There are scientists, researchers, engineers, and companies around the world working on Maxine. More than 2,500 papers on Maxines were published just in 2021. There are thousands of patents filed. So it means that there is a very large community working on developing materials that were discovered here at Drexel University. We're very much excited about this. And of course, we all hope that these materials will help us to solve some important problems humanity is facing. And we need more materials researchers. So for those of you who are graduating from high school or studying at the university and selecting topical area to explore in the future, there is plenty of room for discovery in the field of vaccines and related two-dimensional, low-dimensional materials that will be the building block for future technologies. And I would really like to encourage younger generation to pay attention to this field. This is your opportunity. That's something that will become a reality and will be changing our everyday lives uh, in about a decade from now. So that's exactly when you get into the job market here. So put it in your radar screen read and learn more about this really fascinating family of materials. Wow. No, that was awesome. We were literally just going to like ask you for, for your advice to these uh, young MSCs to get involved in this field. And, you know, if they wanted to pursue research, what should they do? And you kind of answered it for us. So thank you so much for joining us today, Yuri. We really appreciate it. Again, I think finding an important problem and the one that is really close to your heart, something you care about, you want to do, is the kissing. Follow your heart and you will be successful in your career. And also you will be a happy person because you will be doing something you enjoy doing it here. And again, Punit, David, thank you very much uh, for giving me this opportunity to talk today. And uh, I hope there will be more people exploring Maxine's other two-dimensional materials and material science in general. Yeah, thank you, Yuri. Um, this, was, this was awesome. I definitely learned a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It's a Material World podcast. If you enjoyed the show, consider subscribing on your favorite podcast app so you never miss another episode. David and I also created a career development guide for MSCs, which you can download for free using the link in the show notes below. If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. We want to grow this show with our community's input, so you can message us via email or any of our social media platforms. 
Links will be provided in the show notes as well. We'll see you soon. And in the meantime, go change the world.